Okay, so this is our first podcast. It is. I'm Mike. I'm Luke. And this is Glasses and Gore. To start off with the idea behind the podcast, I pitched this to Luke, I don't know how long ago. A about months back. Yeah, about literally watching scary movies and just getting Luke's opinion on scary movies because I've seen a ton of scary movies. And I have not seen, like, any, even originals. So, years ago, Luke started watching scary movies with some friends on, like, watch parties or something like that. And I was like, you should check this one out, or you should check this one out. And that's kind of the premise of the this show, is the ideas of movies that I love and remember through rose-tinted glasses that Luke has never experienced. Yeah, I haven't seen pretty much any of them. Uh, the first movie we're going to be discussing is the 1978 Halloween, which I saw for the first time two nights ago. But to give you some uh, perspective, I guess, like I've never seen the original Friday the 13th. I've only ever seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven's New Nightmare, but none of the sequels, anything like that. Um, you name a horror movie, I've probably missed it. I've seen almost all of them. I love them. I haven't been super up on a lot of the more modern horror movies. I don't enjoy a lot of more modern horror movies, but that's okay. Because um, I am just a fan of classic 70s, 80s, and even 90s horror movies. Some of your early 2000s. That's where it really started picking up for me. So, you know, to start off with, you watched the 1978 John Carpenter classic, Halloween. Yeah, so what made you decide on that one as the first one? Really simply put, he is my favorite slasher villain. Michael Myers? Michael Myers is 100% the best slasher out of all of them. Uh, a lot of people consider him to be the original slasher. He's not, um, but that's okay. Uh, uh, Pardon the dog. He's a, a, a fantastic villain. He's known as the Shape. So John Carpenter, even while making the movie, didn't really reference the character as Michael Myers. He would just reference him as the Shape or the Silhouette uh, comes into frame. And that's how he's framed through most of the shots in the movie as this just ominous shape. And there's just some really awesome stuff. Uh, I'll be honest, I am a John Carpenter nut hugger. I love all of his movies. Uh, huge, huge fan. And some of his cinematography work, some of the things that he does with this movie are just fantastic. So it's one of my favorite horror movies, and that's why I said let's start with Halloween. So I'd obviously never seen Halloween. I'm not unfamiliar with a lot of horror things. Like, I played Dead by Daylight. That's as far as I know about Michael Myers. Like, going up against him was, whew, not so much fun. <laughs> It's because he's a beast. Okay, so how about giving us a brief synopsis, or as we like to call it, a bad retelling of the movie? Bad retelling of the movie. The uh, movie starts off in the early 60s uh, with an awesome POV shot uh, following uh, through a house. Uh, a character walking in through a house, walks upstairs creepily, looks on the ground, picks up a clown mask, and then dons the mask. So you, as the viewer, don this this mask since it's this POV shot. And then there's just this awesome kind of creepy voyeuristic moment where you slightly open a door and there's a naked young female in the room uh, brushing her hair uh, in which you then 
take a butcher knife and kill her. Yeah, that <laughs> that was so corny to me because she doesn't even scream. She's just like, oh, but, ah. and that's when you first hear the name because she's like Michael, and you know, then he just. Uh, it's definitely like reminiscent of Psycho, which I don't think you've seen. I have not, but you've probably gotten the the cult references or the cultural references rather. So you know that's how the movie starts. Uh, the the POV shot then leaves the the you know the room, goes downstairs, walks outside, and then you get a, a just a normal wide cinematic shot of this uh what you assume is two parents running running up to a child in a clown costume holding this you know kitchen knife or butcher knife uh after this small child um essentially murdered the the young female who you find out later was his sister yeah and the parents don't even look all that concerned like watching it they just kind of stare at him as well, it zooms away if, i mean what would make you think that you know like oh why does he have a knife like what's going on my normal child is now walking around comatose because up to that point in, in especially in canon once we get into further halloween movies michael is just a normal kid and then all of a sudden he snaps and kills his sister and then he goes essentially like comatose for 15 years so it's one of those kind of things where you have to just look at it from that context. A normal kid just snapped one day and murdered somebody. Uh, I don't know so much about snapped. I mean, I guess it would kind of be a trope, which we'll discuss later on here. It almost seemed more like possessed because the doctor does say something about there's no light behind his eyes anymore. Like he's almost not there. And that's when we fast forward a little bit. The doctor you're referencing is Dr. Loomis, played by an amazing character actor who's done a ton of work. His name's Donald Pleasance. Have you ever seen Donald Pleasance in anything? Uh, I'm not familiar with the name. Donald Pleasance, one, being in several of the Halloween movies. He was also in just a ton of fantastic uh, movies, including a bunch of John Carpenters, for other John Carpenter nuthuggers out there, like Prince of Darkness, Escape from New York... Uh, but one of my favorite movies that Donald Pleasance is in is a really funny, obscure Western comedy from the 60s called The Hallelujah Trail. And this movie is about uh, uh, essentially uh, the temperance movement and a small town in the West trying to get whiskey delivered to them. A bunch of temperance women trying to like intercept the wagon train full of whiskey. A bunch of very stereotypical native americans mostly white guys in like brown oh, no. face oh, no. oh but it's great because it's it's they like make it a big joke in the movie where like there's a native american guy with blue eyes and it's hilarious it's really a, it's a funny movie check it out but donald pleasance is a town drunk who is also like a, a soothsayer you know like mystic uh, sees the future thing but he has to drink so everybody saves the last few drops of whiskey that they have in town to give to donald pleasance so he can See the future on what's coming next. Fantastic movie called The Hallelujah Trail. Anyway, back to Halloween. Um, we we jump cut uh, 15 years. Uh, we're following a couple of young females, uh, including what's known as a, the final girl, uh, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep, we have Lori, Linda, and Annie. I yes. remember them. Yes, and uh, uh, Lori is the, the final girl, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis is, of course, uh, the daughter of um, the famous actress from Psycho. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Janet Janet Lee Curtis? 
I, I can't remember her name at the moment. I guess I wouldn't uh, know that. I've never seen Psycho. So quite literally, uh, uh, her mother is the famous girl in the shower who screams and gets stabbed by Norman Bates in the shower. We'll get to Psycho eventually. But uh, uh, the, she is the famous daughter of you know, that individual, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, so these young girls, they're talking about young teenage girl stuff. You know, uh, uh, coincidentally, like this isn't one of those times, the other trope where you have a bunch of really old looking people playing young people. All of these females look young enough to be teenagers, at least I think. I did actually look that up. I wanted to know how old Jamie Lee Curtis was when she played the part. She's supposed to be playing a 17-year-old. She's only 19 when she plays the part, so it's it's believable. And I think the other actresses were, were around that same age, too. They looked they were, pretty young. They were pretty young, um, which is uh, uh, interesting. Only one of them, I think, actually gets nude. One of them gets semi-nude, but I think only one of them. I, think <laughs> I do want to talk th- about that later I, on. <laughs> I think there is one like titty shot from one of them. There is. Yep, that um, is Linda. Yeah, uh, uh, the blonde one. Mm-hmm. Dang it, anyhow. Uh, so, you know, uh, these girls are starting to go through with their normal day, talking about how they're going to spend the Halloween night, you know. And and talking about the dance that's supposed to be the following day. Exactly. And uh, uh, what they're going to do, talking about boys. They're babysitters, apparently. Like, uh, that's that's their side hustle, I guess. I think Annie and Lori were. I don't think Linda was. She's I don't think so horny. either. Yeah, she's just... Super horny and, you know, thirsty, apparently. So, um, you know, the uh, Lori Strode is babysitting a young boy by the name of... I think it's Timothy Doyle? I know the last name's Doyle. Tommy Doyle. Tommy Doyle, okay. Which plays reference in further movies, right? The character that comes back multiple times throughout the Halloween, uh, um, you know, circus. Because uh, <laughs> it becomes kind of a circus later, and then... The best part about it is, is in 2018, all of it gets rewritten with uh, um, the newest Halloween series, which is Halloween 2018, then Halloween Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Which I also haven't seen. Fantastic. I love them. Um, so anyway, uh, then through the rest of uh, uh, the movie is essentially Lori trying to babysit while her friends are getting busy, getting horny, and getting killed. And then Michael Myers, uh, as a dark silhouette, beginning to stalk Laurie Strode through a house. So, my take on this movie, or at least my bad retelling, was Michael Myers hunts horny teenagers and then one virgin. That's that's kind of... Well, does it, does it, does it implicitly say that Laurie is a, is a virgin in the movie? It's implied. It's implied, but and I don't think it ever says that she is. And she's totally into the one boy. She's into him. We never yeah. see him. No. She seems to have never been on a date with anyone. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I did see one other thing. It was a quote by Jamie Lee Curtis saying that she was surprised she'd be playing the virgin character. She thought she'd be more of the smart aleck character, so she thought she'd be receiving the part of Annie. Yeah. Who does not get it on in the movie, but is trying to before she is choked from behind in a car. Yes. Yes. Uh... She does get stuck in this weird moment uh, uh, where she's... So the movie takes place in Haddonfield, Illinois, a fake town. It was recorded or or filmed, rather, in California. And they literally were like, 
ripping leaves off of trees and spray painting them brown and to try to make California look like Illinois in fall, like in October. They couldn't find pumpkins, so they had to drive a couple states away just to get pumpkins and bring them back to the, the, oh, the scene. I saw that they actually, one of the trivia things that popped up while I was watching it said that they got squash and painted them orange. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> that's well, because they couldn't find it. And so people who don't know John Carpenter movies, one of the biggest like accolades that John Carpenter is known for is taking an incredibly low budget movie and making it look like it's a high budget movie. He's done it with all of them. So if you haven't seen the original Assault on Precinct 13, which is the movie he did before Halloween, uh, if you haven't seen any uh, like Escape from New York, he's the kind of guy who you know takes a, a very small budget and makes it uh, something special. And this movie, for the longest time, did hold the record for being the highest grossing independent movie ever made. So for the longest time, this movie that was only made for 300000 370000 yep. something like that, it ended up grossing like uh, seventy million dollars or something like Damn. that worldwide. It was an insanely popular movie. There were slasher movies before this, but none quite like this. All of the slasher movies had like you knew who the slasher was. It was definitely more like a thriller kind of base. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh, um, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think, even predates Halloween. Never seen it. Uh, we'll get to it. But, uh, uh, you know, the main character, Leatherface, like you see him in multiple points. You see this family that's like this terrible, evil family that's killing people. You see, you have a face to these horrible people. Even like, uh, uh, you know, Wes Craven, another big name director, his first uh, uh, big movie, Last House on the Left, that one was an early 70s movie, kind of considered in the same genre. It's like revenge film, but slasher as well. Uh, has these evil protagonists, or, or uh, antagonists rather, that are just brutal, but they have names and faces. Michael Myers, yes, he has a name, but the face that you see isn't his face. That's not who Michael is. Interestingly enough, Everybody knows it's just a spray-painted William Shatner mask. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, a, a very interesting thing as well. Uh, there's only one shot where you see Michael Myers' face in the movie. It is brief. It's uh, He gets the mask ripped off. You don't even see all of it because he no. starts to pull it back down. Because he instantly starts pulling the mask down. Coincidentally, the uh, person who... Uh, um, is Michael Myers where you see his face? Isn't even the guy who was Michael Myers for the rest of the film? Uh, no, apparently they had three different actors. Yes, yes. And so the main one was like the cinematographer mm -hmm. for, uh, uh, you know, uh, John Carpenter. So the, you can see where it was literally like a bunch of people who were film students or fresh out of film school, a bunch of friends that were like, we're going to make a movie. We're going to get everything we can together. And John Carpenter, who was an up-and-coming director at the time, had a bunch of success with a movie called The Salt on Precinct 13. It was like, let's do this. And that's kind of where it came came from. Never seen that one either. Surprise, surprise. Uh, different genre of movie. John Carpenter, while a lot of people think he's a master of horror, some of the best stuff he does is crazy action movies. Um, just over-the-top action. But anyway. Well... What is your perception of the movie then? You obviously like it. Oh, I love this movie. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and, and people like me who are into horror movies can attest to this, like you remember when you saw these movies. You remember being like a small child or a teenager and seeing it for the first time and being like, this changes everything. And for me, it was in the mid-90s, right? So in this age group, I started watching scary movies when I was super young, but 
there was a certain point where I started to like digest them and understand them. And, you know, but my first memories of scary movies was my family lived in Colorado. I was like two to four years old. My mom was the cool young mom that let all the kids come over and hang out. And we would watch scary movies. At the age of four? Literally, she would watch them with them. Oh, my right? God. My first experience with a scary movie was one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I don't know which one. But I remember watching it, getting scared, sitting in my mom's lap. She took a blanket and put it over my face. And this is also the first time that I swore that I know of. Because Freddy Krueger says something along the lines of, like, you bitch. And I said it to my mom. Oh. And she got so mad at me. Right? Like, you can't say that sort of thing. But I was literally like a two or a three-year-old. Can't you say know. it, but you can watch it. You can definitely watch this movie of this dude with knives for fingers. Um, so that was my very first experience. And very shortly after that, I remember watching the Critters movie and just being enamored with one specific scene. And Critters are these little gremlin ball things from outer space. They're these little aliens with just sharp razor-like teeth. And they just roll like a roly-poly and pop up. And then they just devour everything in front of them. So they just eat everything and procreate. Um, do you know, have you ever heard of the Star Trek Troubles with Trebles episode where it's just these weird little fuzzy things that just keep on multiplying? You don't know how they multiply, but they just multiply and then they just start messing up machinery and stuff. That's no. the idea of a critter, except for it eats everything, including you. And there's this one moment in one of the critters movies that I'll never forget. I had to have been three or four years old where all of these critters are, you know, someone's trying to exterminate them and they all roll up into a giant boulder ball looking thing like Indiana the Jones style and start rolling over like the, the countryside and they roll over a guy. And then, you know, when they roll over the guy, you see him and it's just like an animatronic skeleton just moving on the ground, <laughs> just like, still wearing all of his clothes, you know, but all of the flesh is gone. So I'll never forget those moments. But, you know, I saw this movie. It was before I saw Scream. Because once I saw Scream, that changed everything. And th while this movie was scary, Scream terrified me. Never seen Scream. I saw Scream when it came out, 96. Uh, when, it, when it came out to, to home video, right? In the days of, of, like, Video Library. Do you remember them? No, I remember Blockbuster. Blockbuster, Hastings, you could rent movies from. Um, so there was a bunch of just really awesome places. We had one that was called American Library here, or American Video here in town. We had a bunch of really awesome video rental places, and that was our thing. Like, we never went and saw movies at movie theaters because it was too expensive. You'd roll down to the video store and rent an old movie because those were the cheap movies. You couldn't get the new ones because it was too expensive. And back in the mid-90s, to rent a movie was maybe like $3, you know? But it was it was too expensive at the time. So you, we would rent the less than a dollar movies mm -hmm. and so it was we and we would watch scary movies like me and my sisters or me and my my neighborhood friends so i remember seeing halloween uh that way it had to have been 94 95 i was not 10 like, i was eight or nine years old and watching this this movie um and i just remember being like this guy is the coolest most badass character ever and I've been in love with him ever since. You're talking about Ghostface? No, 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 no. Ghostface I didn't see till like 97, oh, gotcha. 96 or 97, uh, whenever it came out. I remember the summer it came out and I watched it with my sister. We were terrified. We slept with the lights on in our living room for like a week. Oh like we gosh. refused to go to our beds, you know, like it was just, no. But uh, uh, with Halloween, didn't terrify me that much. I was, I was just enamored with this character um, that just wouldn't stop for nothing, you know. And I just thought it was really cool. So I remember watching Halloween and the next time we went to the movie store getting Halloween 2. And then getting Halloween 3 and being like, oh, this is awesome. 
<laughs> which, by the way, a lot of people give a lot of hate to Halloween 3. It's seeing a huge resurgence uh, lately where a lot of people are like, oh, it's actually a pretty good movie if you just give it a chance and don't look at it in the context of Halloween movies. I've always loved Halloween 3. I think it's fantastic, but, you know, it's it's pretty trendy anymore to be like, oh, it's a good movie if you just give it a chance. I thought the movie was okay. It... Hmm. <laughs> it was weird. I mean, I'm an adult now. A little background for me. I don't think I saw my first horror movie until I was probably 21. But when I was in middle school, my bedroom was right next to our family's living room. And my sister used to have her friends over and they'd watch scary movies right next to my bedroom. The TV was up against the wall where my bed was. And I'd hear all these horrible, bone-breaking, crunching, blood-curdling screams. All this stuff while I'm trying to sleep. And my parents wondered why I'm so disturbed and tired the next day. So I didn't see my first horror movie until I was 21. I think it was Insidious. It was actually pretty good. Not a bad movie at all. And then I ended up going and seeing Insidious 2 with my college friends. Not Um, as good. (laughs) It wasn't as good, but it wasn't bad. It was pretty interesting. It's still an interesting one. As a modern-day scary movie, I would say that uh, uh, Bagul, the bad guy from the, the Insidious movies, pretty good. I think the only scene that really made me jump in the first movie was they're sitting at the table, and this red face just pops up behind one of the characters, and it is really unexpected. Like, it's not one of those stinger jump scares where you're like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it stops, and then it pops up. Like, it's just there. Yeah. There's no buildup. I was wrong. I was thinking of a different movie, uh, the Insidious movies with uh, um, Patrick Wilson uh, uh, is what, what the ones you're talking about. I was thinking of the, uh, um, the Ethan Hawke movie where a different movie series. Insidious is still a good one. That's a long running series now with a lot of spin-offs. Yeah, I haven't stuff. seen any of I haven't seen past Insidious 2. Yeah. But this one I thought was actually pretty good for um I wouldn't say the horror aspect, but the storytelling wasn't bad. I do think it was a little ridiculous when the killings are starting. Um Annie spills a little bit of butter on her clothes and she's like, "Oh god," and she strips and puts on this white button-up shirt because she got some butter on her clothes. So she's, like, getting naked in the kitchen. And it's obviously, like, the the kids, like, the, the little girl that she's babysitting. It's obvious that it's, like, her dad's shirt. She just goes and raids their closet for a shirt. I don't even think she raids her closet. There just happens to be a shirt hanging in the kitchen. <laughs> that she just puts on. Yeah, and so then Michael starts stalking Annie, who probably has the most convincing death in the movie. Well, uh, there's that moment where she gets stuck uh, uh, in the, the guest the house room. or the washroom, which is an entirely different area of the house. Like, it's like a little shed out in the back. Yeah. Well, it's not even like a shed. It, it definitely gives the vibe of like a pool house or like a little, like maybe the garage or something. Yeah. But who in Illinois, right? If you're from the Midwest and you have winters, you know that you would not have like a side house. That or like a side shed where you would be running laundry in the winter. Yeah, your like, clothes would freeze. You you would freeze just I trying mean, to get too. you know, especially in a place like Illinois where you have harsh winters. Uh, we're from Montana. We have harsh winters. Not that's where you another one of those points uh, to get back to what I was saying. You can tell that this was a California yeah. like property. 
Um, First of all, if it's the middle of October, you're not going to be going outside in just a button-up shirt. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, but uh, uh, one of my <laughs> the favorite parts of that is when she locks herself in this washroom or wash house, whatever this is, the garage. Well, Michael locks her in. And she, well, it's... It, uh, you can't say that he does because in that scene, the door just shuts and there's no one behind it. Whenever Michael's around, you see him there. He's watching her. Well, he's watching her, but the next shot when the door closes, because you see her in the frame, you don't see him at all. And there's no like hand pulling the door shut. True, but I think it's implied he's locking her in. So it's one of those, uh, 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 either way, she gets locked in. And she starts hearing the phone ring from inside the other house. So Paul, her boyfriend. It's Paul. And she, Lindsay, it's Paul! And she really wants to hook up with Paul. So she, there's a moment where Lindsay, the little girl uh, that she's babysitting, try, goes to like let her out because she's just not going to answer the phone. She's like, fuck you. I don't, I don't answer phones in this oh, house. She answers the phone. She's like, yeah, let me go get her. It, she goes to go get her and she unlocks the door and she's like, you're locked in. And in some weird, crazy way, you know. She's stuck in the window. She's stuck in the window. Just because her foot got caught on a racking or something. She, she yeah. could have moved. She could have moved. She could have moved. Uh, uh, this this child is able to move this racking easily. This other girl's foot is stuck. It was just a perfect opportunity just to get a butt shot um, of a girl hanging out of a window. I honestly thought that's where she was going to die. Uh, well, and that, I think that that's one of those subversive things where it kind of gives you the idea. Um, but there's no buildup. Like, she's just stuck there. So it's like, oh, this is just there to be there. Yep. Uh, uh, which I think goes to the pacing. I think that this movie's really good with, with pacing in that route. I think a lot of that pacing goes to the fantastic score that uh, is in the movie. Like, I love the music oh to gosh. this movie. The soundtrack is the, great. I don't know what you want to call the that follow Mike around, but they are so annoying. <laughs> that is, by far, one of the most recognizable themes well, in, yeah, in cinematic history. It's a pretty short, I guess I don't, I don't know the musical term for it, but it, it follows the same notes. It's not something that has any progression. Well, and that goes back to the John Carpenter thing. He did that theme. Like, he's he's a well-known musician, well-respected musician. He's done a lot of music for film and television. In fact, that's mostly what he does anymore is just dick around with music. Well, I mean, it's smart. Keeping it short makes it more memorable. Well, and it's quite literally, it's the same idea as like, you know, the Jaws theme. Dun, 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 dun. Oh you my know? gosh. But it's <laughs> it's Michael Myers theme, and I would say it hits just as much. But it is one of the most prolific sound bites. One, that it's been redone for every one of the Halloween movies, which is more than a few at this stage. But the other thing is... A ton of references uh, for for that music in just other other music. It's been sampled for multiple rap songs. Um, Never would have guessed. Multiple rap songs. It's because Michael Myers is a badass character, and if you're a rapper and you want to be identified as a badass character, then then you better have you know that. I love that. I love it. I, I it comes it. on, and I get so excited. I, I just you instantly get crunk in the club. Well, it's not to get crunk in the club. I just instantly <laughs> get blasted back to that, that moment that I just uh, hearing that. And then watching him just those one shots of him just stalking somebody through a house and just, just brutalizing people. I love it. That was something that I thought was kind of weird. The knife is only used to kill one person in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of become so synonymous with it. Um, you'll it's even in the poster. Oh yeah. Yeah. Quite literally the, uh, the movie poster, um, you know, 
the night he came home, um, it's got like a, a weird, terrifying jack-o'-lantern face with like a hand and that kitchen knife. If you look inside the hand, there's actually a face in there screaming too. Oh, is there? Yeah. I didn't know. You have the movie with you, don't you? I did, yeah. Look right inside the knuckles. There's the mouth, there's the nose, there's the eyes. Well, I guess. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't notice that. I think you're just reaching for things. I, I'm not. I think that you're trying to... What's that uh, uh, effect called? Where Anthropomorphizing? Just, well, uh, there's hand. that. But uh, uh, like where your human brain is just distinctly made to recognize face shapes. I think, I think that's the same as saying this looks like a face. Boo. There's a face in the hand. People who actually end up listening to this tell me I'm right. No face in the hand. Uh, <laughs> if you do think that there's a face in the hand, uh, you know, comment your comments in the comments and argue with me because I will argue with you. That is just a well-drawn hand with some vascularity. Um, I don't know if I'd say well-drawn. Like, I mean, my hands are thin, but even my tendons don't freaking stick out that much. Well, those aren't tendons. Those are veins, bud. And quite literally, those are tendons. Those if, are if veins. you were a monster like you know Michael Myers, you would be able to do it. Um, so yeah, I love the theme. I love the way the the music just adds to that pacing. You're not the biggest fan, but that's okay if you're wrong. Um, you know, that's the way I look at it. Uh, uh, I think it's great. I honestly think the opening shot is one of the best one shots in, in cinema history, just because that's all done in one shot. Where it's the progressing through the house. It's like a five-minute scene where it's just progressing through the house, going to the kitchen, grabbing a knife, walking up the stairs, spying on your dirty sister, and then brutalizing her with murder. No, no other brutalization. But, Gross. Well, you know, it, it could go that way. So, I guess it might be harder for you to say how predictable was it because you've seen it. I've seen it too many times, yeah. I thought it was really predictable. I saw Annie's death coming. I saw Bob's death coming. I saw Linda's death coming. Lori obviously was the final girl, so she wasn't going to die. I, I don't think it's fair to say that you saw Annie's death coming because you you even just admitted that I thought Annie was going to be dead in I said, the I, wash house. I thought know? that was going to be where he killed her, but there's no music buildup. There's no nothing. So it's nothing. like, oh, so they're pushing it back. And then as soon as she's trying to drive off her pole, it's like, oh, now here's where she's yeah. getting it because she's but, trying to go have sex. Well, the music doesn't come on until like he, like she notices the steam in the car, like the, the fogged up windows. Even after that, she's like trying to rub it off the windshield. It's like, bitch, you're dumb. <laughs> Why are we, somebody's obviously in the car breathing. Would you know that? And through the whole movie here. <sighs> Which goes back to the whole, you're the voyeur watching this happen. Well, and th so, yeah, then Michael reaches up and chokes her to death. Honestly, she actually gave a pretty good performance. Like, she's getting a rasp and it sounds like she's choking. Linda, who dies a very similar death, was not so convincing. As she's just like, getting choked out and then she's kind of like uh, 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 towards the end it's like okay come well, on you could have given a little more there. linda was there for one reason sex and that was for you know your 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 tropes your token tropes which are uh, oh, we, let's get into tropes. we should tropes. talk about uh, uh some of the token uh trope type things token titties obviously she was there as the token titties so we've got a little checklist here of common tropes which if you guys end up hearing this and you're like, oh, this is also a trope, we'll add it in. But yep. there's usually a token black character, which this movie did not have. So that one is taken off right off the top. Titties, which happens literally in the first five minutes of this film. A sex scene, which does happen 
midway through? Yeah, about midway. And then is there a murder during the sex scene? This one's kind of yes and no. I mean, the sex scene happens, and then it's... Right after. Right after Bob gets gutted, essentially, and yeah. then Linda, right after him, gets choked out with a telephone cord. Which is great. As she's trying to talk to Lori, and Lori's just like, this isn't funny! So then, you know, another trope will be, like, not just the, the like, murder during sex, murder right after sex. Huge trope, especially in slasher movies, where it's like, you, it's like the punishment. The bad girl, for having sex, gets murdered by... And that's you know, why Lori survives. That's why Lori survives. And that's a part of the, like, final girl dynamic. Anybody who's seen, like, the Scream movies, which is, like, a, a huge meta analysis on slasher movies and horror movie culture, will get that reference. The further we go into this, Luke will see this and see those tropes even more and more. Um, and how they kind of, like, one-up each other each time. How they kind of get more and more amped up and, and ridiculous. I'll say they're definitely ridiculous. Yep. So, a trip during a chase scene. Which this movie did have, but they actually kind of put it in in a more clever way than most. Um, when Michael tries to attack Lori, he ends up pushing her over a stair railing, and she bangs her knee on the stairs. And so as she's being chased, her leg gives out from underneath her. It's like, oh, that's pretty clever. It's not just a, oh, no, I tripped on nothing. Well, so, you know, and where a lot of that, like, trip during chase scene slasher thing really came into play, Friday the 13th, uh, which is another huge, huge fan of. Guess what? What? Haven't seen it. Uh, nobody is surprised. <laughs> so the with the the Friday the Thirteenth movies, after we get introduced to the Jason Voorhees character, there almost every movie has a scene, and this is where a lot of the tropes really get hammered home. Is uh, uh, you know where one of the girls, maybe even after having sex, is getting chased by Jason Voorhees, and she's running through the woods, and she is dead sprint running or awkwardly film girl running. Yep. You know. Uh, arms flailing, knees going inwards while feet are pointed outwards like a cartoon <laughs> running through the woods and they trip over something and Jason isn't even behind them. You can't even see him. And then she gets up and she's like, oh, oh, I'm okay. I might, I might actually get away. Or she might even like go up against a tree and be like, oh, you'll oh, yeah. never find me. And then all of a sudden, bam, he's right there next to her. It's like he can teleport or something. Definitely a huge trope. So Michael is actually really far behind her when she trips. She goes screaming for help, and the people inside the house are just like, nah. No, yeah. I don't, I don't understand that. I was like, Halloween is a dangerous night. I mean, yeah, people play stupid tricks, but hello, somebody's screaming for their life, and you're just like, mm, I'm going to ignore that. Well, I mean, maybe the folks at that house are out just like the parents of the kids that are being watched. You see somebody look through the blinds and close them. Well. Regardless, whether yeah. it's somebody babysitting or the owners, they should have at least been like, let me call the police just in case. Well, well, in all fairness, the police do get called at some point because the police show up. They don't. What's happening is the doctor is looking for Michael at the old Myers house. The old Myers house, yeah. And he has one of the patrolmen with him because he's like, this guy escaped from the insanitarium. By the way. He's going to be here. Because we didn't mention it before. In case you didn't know, for a 45-year-old movie. Spoiler alert. Oh, there's going to be spoilers in every one of these. So the the other thing is, is uh, uh, since you mentioned the Myers house, if you're a dog lover, this movie is kind of harsh. There's only one dog death, and it was like, it was unfair. I mean, it was just a German shepherd that gets combat hugged to death. Yeah. yeah I mean, he literally, he did, the dog r runs out the house barking, going nuts, and then the next scene, you just see Michael Myers' legs with the dog's tail, like, twitching as he's just crushing it to death. And then, his, well, his legs start to slump down. Yeah. He chokes it out. Yeah. 
And then our final trope is... Oh, and Michael Myers eats wildlife. That's also a thing in the movie, too. It is? Yeah, when they go to the house, there's a fresh kill raccoon or cat or something like oh, that. Oh, no, uh, I think it's another dog, actually. Yeah. You don't see it, but they say there's a dead dog inside and it's fresh. Yeah, and it's by, the by um, you know, uh, Michael Myers' sister's tombstone because he steals it from his son. Judith Myers, yeah. Judith. Yep. So the last trope we have is killer dies, fake out. Which happens a couple times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the, and, you know, this is another one that always happens. There's one final scare uh, to the point where it's a trope that has to make it into, like, the list of rules and scream. We'll get to that when we get to it. But Right, there, but it's usually the, the fake-out. It is, and so it's one of those. But I wouldn't even say that this one is necessarily a fake-out. Oh, it most certainly is, too. Why? What What would you say is so a fake out about it? she stabs him with the the crocheting needle. Yeah. And he's laying dead there. And she's like, oh, he's dead. Let me throw the knife away. Which, stupid choice. Uh, <clears throat> then well, yeah, because you can just kill him with a crocheting needle. Then he starts chasing her again. Is there a second one before the detective gets to him? I don't think so. I don't think so either. But as he's breaking into the closet where Lori's hiding after oh, killing stabs him. stabs him with a hanger. <laughs> <laughs> she stabs him in the eye with a hanger, so it's not quite a fake out. But no. then uh, Dr. Loomis like, oh, oh, oh. shoots him a couple times, and he falls out the window, and you see his dead body on the ground. Just lying on the ground. And then as he goes and gets Lori, they go and look out the window. Guess what? Body's gone. gone. The fake out. Well, and so it's one of those things, and that's that's kind of the biggest deal with Michael. And as we go through other Halloween movies, especially the ones that are no longer canon, um, you get to further and further points where it's like you have to pay attention to that last ending scene because they are going to be a pivotal moment in the next scene. It definitely plays into Halloween 2. When we go and watch Halloween 2, you'll see it picks up right after Oh, no, Halloween we're watching sequels? Why not? We have to watch everything. Oh, Luke. we're watching everything. Everything. Uh, and you know, uh, the fun thing is, is as we go further and further along with this, we'll probably end up watching stuff that I've never seen and that will be, uh, enjoyable for me. There is a modern day, I wouldn't even call it a horror movie, dark comedy. Have you seen Megan? I haven't, but I really want to. I heard it's really good. It is. I thought it was pretty hilarious yeah. in the best way. Like it wasn't, I feel like they actually tackled a horror movie or dark comedy in a very realistic funny way of like oh my gosh i could totally see this happening in real life hope it doesn't so uh the one that i saw the most recently that's like a dark horror comedy um that i thought was fantastic the way they did it was a movie that's called werewolves within which apparently is uh, um based that, off of a video game is that the one you were telling me yes okay it, it, i did want to see that hilarious uh would totally recommend. There are some tropey tropes that come into it, and it is pretty predictable. But at the same token, it's it's just lovely with the the cast that they have. Everybody is just chewing scenery and over the top in such a fantastic way, where it's like nobody takes it serious, and it's just it's a fun, entertaining horror comedy. Well, I know you've got a list together of what we're gonna watch, so mm -hmm. assuming we get a following, we might be able to actually get people to start voting. On what's next, but for the meantime, I think it's just going to be, I'm going in blind, you're going to be presenting the movie, and we'll take it from there. We'll take it from there. Um, you know, the one of the last things uh, uh, to talk about, um, you get a, a chance to see the movie, and then you get a chance to see the cinematic trailer uh, of the movie. Did you watch the trailer? I didn't watch the trailer. I thought maybe for something so old it might just be irrelevant, but if... Classic 
movie trailer with classic movie voice. That reveals everything? That uh, No, uh, because you don't get any of like the context of uh, what... There are trailers out there that you see Michael Myers as a child and then him come back. But actually, really good trailer. should check it out because uh, it does... It gives you a, a pretty good synopsis of, hey, this is going to be a, a good, scary time, and, and you should watch it. Yeah. Well, what are your final thoughts? Or as we like to call it, the final girls segment. A fucking nine out of ten. I love this movie, Luke. I love this movie. Yeah, I'd give it a six on ten. I'd maybe watch it again, but I wouldn't go out of my way to see it. I would. Uh, I, I can't tell you how often I've seen this movie. Um well into the double digits at this stage i probably watch it at least once a year a halloween tradition <laughs> it's it's not a halloween tradition i watch it randomly i'll just be like i want to watch a halloween movie and i have them all so i just keep watching uh including the new ones i love them um so yeah i i big fan just i think this is one of the better ones this is one that you can always turn on and not be unimpressed with well wouldn't say I was impressed. I wasn't unimpressed, though, so I guess you're not wrong in that regard. So, you know, uh, I love the Halloween movie. I hope that you uh, uh, will develop an appreciation at least for number one, especially as we go through number two. Number two picks up right where number one leaves off. Literally, the moment it stops, number two begins, which is great. Um, and that tradition follows into the Rob Zombie Halloween movies with Halloween 1 and Halloween 2. Not as good Michael Myers movies, but hey, there's fans out there who like it. And like I said before, it's okay if you're wrong. So there's that. Um, big fan. Uh, can't say how much I love it enough. If you like Halloween stuff uh, and horror movie culture, tons of fantastic Halloween merchandise out there that you can get your hands on. Blow-up dolls, like Halloween stuff is going up in all the stores. Mm, There's I wouldn't call them blow-up dolls. Michael Myers <laughs> blow-up dolls uh, or, or blow-up uh, uh, stuff. Um, inflatables. I mean, inflatables. <laughs> if you can find a Michael Myers blow-up doll, send it to us. We'll totally blow it up and and we'll rate the, the Halloween blow-up doll. That's oh, fine. dear God. I, I mean, he's he's carrying a different kind of knife. Well, I think we're probably going to end it there. If you managed to stick around this long, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a good time. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Do we'll you get it figured out. Do you want to talk about what we uh, would be viewing the, the for the next episode? I think we should leave that a surprise. A surprise every time. A surprise every time. Fantastic. I love it. All right. All right. Thanks for stopping by, Mike. Well, thank you, Luke.